Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church of Auburn, where we get a chance to sit down and have a conversation with Pastor Zellner and learn how God's Word applies to our lives. Welcome back to Conversations. I'm your host, Will Leitner. I'm sitting here with my pastor, Eric Zellner. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm good, Will. How are you? I'm doing great. You guys just heard a beautiful violin instrumental cover of In Christ Alone, one of our favorite hymns, and it's perfectly relevant to what we're talking about today. We've been going through the five solos of the Protestant Reformation, and today we're talking about solus Christus, or In Christ Alone, that salvation is in only one name and it's in Jesus Christ. So, Eric, one of the things that we're going through at our church right now is the book of Exodus. If you could please just talk about some of the historical significance of uh, a messianic figure, of the Messiah, of Jesus, and where do we see him throughout the scriptures? Thank you for, for that question, Will. I think the, uh, the concept of a mediator is a concept that runs throughout the scripture. And, and uh, those who study the Old Testament recognize that there are certain figures uh, that, that act as mediators of a covenant relationship. In other words, uh, God seeking to forge a relationship with humanity uses an individual to serve in the place of a mediator. And so we immediately uh, begin in Genesis and you have uh, God forming a relationship with Adam, forming a relationship with Eve. And then uh, when Adam and Eve fall into sin, God gives a promise of another mediator. In Genesis 3.15, he promises that, that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. But later in the book of Hosea, there's a reflection back on the book of uh, Genesis and, and that creation account. And the Bible tells us that, that Adam acts, in a sense, as a covenant mediator of a relationship with all humanity. So in, uh, in Adam, all men fell into sin, or all uh, mankind falls into sin. Uh, and it's looking forward to a way in which, through another mediator, there will be salvation. Uh, Noah, in some sense, acts as a covenant mediator. Uh, God recognizes that the wickedness on the earth is so severe that he intends to judge sin, uh, but one man is uh, found to, to have favor in God's eyes, and God places him in this ark with his family. And on the other side of that, God's command to, those, to Noah and his descendants is be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's again a reflection back to the Garden of Eden, a reflection back to this creation mandate. After Noah, the next covenant mediator we have is, is Abraham. And God acts in a relationship with Abraham, having destroyed the world. We just come off the heels of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, where the people of the world are seeking to make a name for themselves. God looks at Abraham and he says, I'm going to make your name great, uh, and, and your name will be great as it's connected to me. In other words, you're going to serve as a mediator between me and humanity. The book of Romans tells us that that not all bloodline are descendants of Abraham, but only those who have faith like Abraham. And so in Genesis chapter 15, it tells us that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
Um, and so we recognize Abraham standing in that spot as well. So then when we come to the question you really asked me about Exodus, uh, we are still waiting for a mediator to step in and act on behalf of God's people. Moses serves as the next kind of mediator in that, in that spot. And, and because God's people have been enslaved for 400 years in Egypt by the time Moses is born, uh, Moses is raised up by the Lord and through a series of trials brought back to serve as a deliverer of God's people. But, you know, even this Sunday, I'm going to be looking at chapter 3 where God uh, introduces himself to Moses at the burning bush. And he says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is, and he says, I am, I am who I am. This is my name. Uh, Moses is standing there, and God basically commissions him to serve as a mediator, to stand before Pharaoh, to deliver his people out of Egypt. Uh, Moses does that physical deliverance after a 40-year wandering in the wilderness. The people do not enter, enter the promise, promised land, but they're on the cusp of it, and Moses dies. Right. So we're still left with Adam going, we need a better mediator. With Noah, we need a better mediator. The guy's drunk as soon as he gets off the ark. With Abraham, who tries to sell his wife off twice as, as his sister. With Moses, um, who strikes the rock in anger and, and still has something in him which is not sufficient to be the mediator of God's people. Ultimately, you, you remember the story of the Old Testament. The judges um, are raised up. And, and in some ways, they act kind of like a mediator role, but they're constantly failing. You look at the, the judges, and they're just so... They're so typically human, right? They're, they're a very mixed bag. Uh, and so the people cry out to God for a king. And they want a king that's just like the nations. And God says, okay, I'll give you a king just like the nations. How about Saul? And when they go looking for Saul, they can't find him because he's cowering over by the luggage, right? And, uh, and behold, this is your king, right? This is your, this is your option. Um, obviously, the Lord through uh, Saul exposes the frivolity of seeking a man-made deliverer. David rises up as God's anointed one to serve as king over Israel. But when you read 2 Samuel, you cannot do anything other than come away with a kind of disappointment because David utterly destroys his, his very own wife, and the sexual sin that he commits with Bathsheba has ramifications that flow through his family and through all of the nation of uh, uh, Judah and Israel. Now, I tell you that only because the Old Testament is really big on setting up this concept of mediator. And by the end of the Old Testament, we are meant to be dying for someone who really will stand up mm -hmm. and deliver God's people fully and finally. And none of those characters are sufficient. So uh, this is the reason that the New Testament begins by, by honing the camera lens down on the Christ, the one, Jesus, the one Messiah, who will ultimately be the deliverer and mediator of God's people. Right. And I think one thing that's amazing about this is you just see this picked up so early in the New Testament. Um, right now we're going through the book of Matthew in our Tuesday night study. 
you see very early on, even in Christmas, when Mary bears a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So our way in which we can actually be with God is through this mediator, and he will be the ones that actually save people from their sins. Yeah, that's exactly right. Our, our uh, Westminster Confession of Faith says in chapter 8, section 1, it it pleased God in His eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, His only begotten Son, to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet, the priest, and king, the head and savior of His church. And then it goes on to talk about the heir of all things, the judge of the world, uh, unto whom He did from all eternity give a people to be His seed. So this is the reason that the Apostle Paul picks up uh, this long story of the, of the Old Testament and just as you said, this name that Jesus carries is a name that says, I'm the deliverer. Right. I'm the ultimate and final mediator. So where the reformers get the phrase solus Christus is that it's Paul's favorite way in the New Testament of referring to how our salvation is mediated. It is mediated to us in Christ. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, that ends up being the uh, the crucial way that the Apostle Paul constantly talks about our salvation is found in Jesus. Right. And I think, too, like, obviously the Apostles are picking this up directly from Jesus himself. And I just find it so interesting how people will say Jesus is just a good moral teacher, especially like you look at the Sermon on the Mount. And you say that he's this great moral teacher teaching things that no one has ever heard. But how can you say that someone's a good moral teacher if you do not believe half of his teaching, which was about himself? And uh, that's why C.S. Lewis says he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Because even in the Sermon on the Mount, you see that um, in Matthew 7, people will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, and they will not enter the kingdom. So they must come through Christ. Christ will be the judge. Yeah. And it'll be his knowing of them that will determine their entrance into the kingdom. And then he finishes the Sermon on the Mount with, if you hear these words of mine and do them, you'll be a wise man. But if not, you're a foolish man. So he puts himself and his teaching up against every religious figure and really anyone else in all of eternity and says, you either build your life on me or you build your life on someone else. But the only way that you can be a wise man and enter in the kingdom is by is by Christ, in Christ alone, building your life on His Word and His teaching. Yeah, so, um, you know, the Word and the teaching is one thing. It's interesting how the uh, how John's Gospel, which, of course, is different from the synoptic that Matthew, Mark, Luke... Uh, John is, John cares immensely about making sure that, that people are looking for salvation in Christ, right? Um, so the transition... And the kinds of things that Jesus says, when we talk about, um, I mean, he says very ridiculous things, going back to your liar, lunatic, Lord mm-hmm. concept. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Uh, I am the, the, the gate. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I mean, these are such definitive statements about salvation coming through him that he, he literally must be either mentally ill right. or he must be the king of the universe through whom salvation is wrought. Right. right? And, the, and you, can, you can tell, I mean, you're gonna, we'll talk about Acts in just a minute. The apostles immediately recognize 
when Jesus dies and rises, that suddenly the fulfillment of salvation is going to come through this channel. Absolutely. And so, and just like you were saying with the apostles, very early you see it in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are standing before the council of the religious elite of the age, the the elite members of Judaism, and they tell them, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So you see these just huge universal negatives. No one comes to the Father except through me, and there's no other name by which someone can be saved. Yeah, and so, you know, I think it is historically a, uh, a problem. I mean, in Christ alone is a definitive line drawn across human history. Mm-hmm. Uh, salvation is either going to be found in him or you will be apart from God. Right. Um, this is a it's, a, it's a profound clarity. Um, so anyway, it's, it's uh, worth recognizing. That. Well, and I think, too, you just... You were talking about this Old Testament imagery. I just think about the Passover of the way in which people are saved from the archangel killing the firstborn son is by putting the blood of the lamb on the door. And so when John the Baptist picks up this idea and he says he's the lamb of God which was slain, it's the way in which we don't take the wrath of God is by putting the blood of Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, on our on the door of our hearts. And so God's wrath passes over us. There's no way in which we can not take the punishment of God without having this blood of the lamb, which is truly an amazing thing. Well, it is. I, uh, you, I think it's important for us to recognize that what Christ does in, in being the ultimate and final mediator is he really removes every barrier that mankind would have towards drawing near to God in any other way. Mm-hmm. So I want to I say this as a pastor. Um, every Sunday we do kind of a, a confession of sin, and um, I think it's very important for people to recognize uh, I do not forgive sins, right? I can't. <laughs> Praise God. Really? Yeah. <laughs> really. Yeah, really, I can't. Um, but no priest can, right? I'm not a priest. I'm a pastor. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church uses the language of the priesthood. Um Ultimately, the reason that Protestants reject that kind of language is because Jesus is ultimately the full and final priest. And so our access to God is completely satisfied in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, our sins are forgiven in Christ. Right. Not because Eric or any other human man could say, your sins are forgiven, but because the Bible declares that in Christ, those who are trusting in Christ by faith, are granted his grace and are forgiven. Right. Obviously, these these doctrines have huge implications to people's lives. Many people probably have really close dear friends from other religions and other belief systems and people that do not believe in Christ. So what would you say some of the practical applications that believing that salvation is through Christ alone has on people's lives? Well, I, you know, I would want it to be uh, understood as a, as a profound comfort, right? Um, Christ, because Christ is our ultimate mediator, and he is offered for our salvation. We used language last week like faith is the arm which reaches out and grabs hold of the offer of salvation. Well, Christ has been sometimes talked of by theologians as, a, as the vehicle through which our salvation is found. But that, you know, while, while that kind of language um, 
is exclusive, right? Jesus to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. That language is exclusive, right? Mm -hmm. But even as has been said by lots of, uh, of believers throughout history, Jonathan Edwards is who comes to mind, the gates of God's mercy are wide open for sinners to come totally. to God through Christ, right? It's simply saying that this is not a big mountain with 10 different paths going up to the top of the mountain. That's the way that we think of in, in our pluralistic society. Like there's multiple paths up the mountain to finally have access to God. Mm -hmm. God is saying in the Bible, um, this whole story is about my son, the Christ. And, and the pathway, the only access to God comes through Christ, right. that one path. And so, you know, by way of implications, this, this has a, a great historical implication. There was a time in the, in the Roman Catholic Church when Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses to the door of the church at Wittenberg, Germany. Uh, there was a massive problem in the church with the selling of indulgences, and they were primarily for the purpose of, of raising money. Uh, but, but what is an indulgence? Uh, it was used in a couple of different ways. Uh, one way was, would be to say, having purchased this, uh, we are guaranteeing forgiveness for your relatives. Another was to to buy it as like a uh, prior to upcoming sins. I can purchase this indulgence, and I can. But what what the declaration of that is that the priest was capable of forgiving sins, right, uh, with money spent. And so, uh, when Martin Luther and other reformers begin to talk about in Christ salvation in Christ, they're picking up Paul's language. Um, there isn't enough money in the whole world to buy my sins. It is only that blood of Christ, that Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, so, therefore, suddenly what would seem utterly exclusive is super wide open. Right. I do not have to buy it. I do not have to purchase it through a person who is called a priest. I do not have to talk someone into forgiving me. Um, Jesus Christ and his blood is is pleaded before Almighty God, and God is pleased to accept the sacrifice of Himself. Right. So, and then by way of a modern example, I think we recognize that um, in our culture, with the view that there's multiple ways of salvation, uh, those multiple ways are really, really uncertain. As a pastor, one of the most common things I hear from elderly people. Uh, who are outside the church uh, goes something like this uh, I hope in the end that I will have um, been a good enough person that I will uh, you know that, that um, I hope some people will pray for me I hope I'll get into heaven uh, which is a really feeble and uh, frightening place to be but the comfort of this gospel in Christ is that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. That old, that sin nature has passed away, and, and all things are now new in this person. Uh, but since we have been justified by faith in Christ, Ephesians, we have peace with God, mm -hmm. like we've talked about in some of our previous lessons. So you can actually approach death in this way. I am convinced when David writes Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
This is the language of a God who would draw near to him and the God who would be present with him, even at death's door. And you quoted um, the prophet of the Old Testament who said, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mm. Um, and it's all of this is driving uh, a sense of clarity to the fact that God has come near and salvation is found sufficiently in Christ. Absolutely. And you're talking about the modern examples. I think about how some, some people will usually say, well, if salvation is only in Christ, then that just doesn't seem fair of God to do so. And one thing that's helped me understand this is if God is a doctor and our, prob- or our problem is our sin, then what would be fair is not for him to give a cure. Um, what would be fair for him, since he's holy, would be to just let us continue in our sickness. But he does give us a cure. And the cure is Christ for our sins. And since he has given us that cure, it is in only one name, and it's in Jesus Christ. And so that's just the way it's established in scriptures. There's one problem, sin, and one solution, Christ. And that's not unfair of him. It's actually merciful of him. So he receives all the glory. Yeah, that's incredibly merciful. And of course, because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that we're talking about the Trinity, God in one. And so all the glory returns to the Father uh, and to the Son and to the Spirit, and salvation is wrought in that way. So that's, and, and you know, like the Scripture says, it, it is, therefore, no one can boast, because it is nothing of man, it is fully of God. Absolutely. And I think, too, the last application is really just in our evangelism, that if Christ is the only way in which a sinner can be made right with God, then that is what we should be telling people when we are telling them about the Christian faith. That's a great point, Will. I mean, isn't it tempting nowadays for for people to talk about the gospel or by by talking about their church and talking about finding purpose and talking about being influential? Um, I am really convinced that nobody throughout church history uh, died as martyrs uh, so that they could tell people about being influential. Mm-hmm or about uh, having life purpose. They died saying, this Christ was God. And he died, and he rose. And now my salvation is found fully in him. When One, one other thing, of course, um, Jesus makes the comment in, uh, in Mark, I think it's 12, some Sadducees come to him and they ask him about the, the resurrection, and they give this really funny illustration about a man uh, who marries a woman and and because um, he doesn't have any children and he dies then the brother has to marry her and then the next brother and it happens seven times Um, and Jesus kind of chuckles at him and he says you don't understand the scripture and you don't understand the power of God and then he goes back and he actually quotes the Exodus account he he, he actually quotes uh, that this is the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and then this is his point this God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Now, why does that, by way of application, bring us comfort? Because when, when our salvation is found in Christ, it means that our salvation is secure, um, not just while we're living on this earth, but when we die and we are eternally with Him. Absolutely. So there is great comfort uh, from this life to the next. I think just to close one passage that comes to mind when we're talking about this idea of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is in 
uh, Matthew chapter 8, when the centurion comes to Christ to have his son healed, and he tells him that he doesn't even need the Je- uh, Jesus to come to his house because he's a man of authority. He tells people, go, come, and do, and they... And so he just has complete faith that when Jesus says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And then Jesus says, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so he says there that the centurion will enter into the kingdom and sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And those who are actually physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will not. And it's because there's only one prerequisite to get into the kingdom. It's faith in Christ. And so we'll get to be connected to this lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who's faithful to them is faithful now to bring a deliverer and a mediator, namely Jesus Christ. That's so good. Thank you so much, Will. This is a good conversation. Absolutely. So thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast. Um, You can find us uh, on our podcast at Christ Presbyterian Auburn on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you guys at our next episode.